amplify? Good morning, everybody. Can you hear me? Good. Can you hear me now? So today is actually a uh, very significant day in the history of uh, this church plant in one sense. Uh, I say church plant, it's kind of a new church that uh, recently started here in this wonderful city of Detroit. And uh, the reason why it is such a big deal is because today we are setting in for the first time in Border City Church's history, the first deacons, which is an exciting thing. So namely, that is uh, this, <laughs> this man who is functioning as he does as a deacon at the moment, uh, Kurt and his wife Anna. Kurt and Anna Opal, and then Mickey McCart back there in the back corner, who's uh, sitting like a wonderful man he is in back there. Uh, a little bit of feedback, perhaps? Are we good? And uh, as we're getting into this, what I'm going to do is I just want to share a little bit about the significance of what this moment is all about, what, what this is. What is a deacon? We've got all sorts of ideas coming into this moment of what a deacon is, and so I just want to go back, hopefully, to scripture and the simplicity and the beauty of what, it, what a deacon really is all about, and this is applicable to every single individual in this room. If you're a follower of Jesus, who, by the way, I, is identified in the scripture as a deacon, uh, maybe not translated in our English Bibles, uh, that word deacon, but the same Greek word that is translated in our English Bibles as deacon is used to describe Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are called to be a deacon, which means a servant. So we're going to get into this, but before we do, I just want to kind of lay, uh, or make, some, make a couple comments. One is that God is a God of order and pattern and design. And so what I mean by that is we, we sometimes just kind of forget that there's design to this thing that, we're call, that we call this church. There's, there's scriptural design and order. And so if you look at, oh, that's so distracting. Is it not? Okay. I will pretend like it's not distracting and continue talking to you. But I hear some feedback. It's okay. Uh, today, I consider myself the luckiest man. <laughs> you baseball fans would know the stupid joke I just made. So God is a God of order. And, and so if you, if you look in the scripture, you've got Noah as an example. When Noah was called to build the ark by God, God gave him very specific measurements gopher wood, very specific dimensions of what this ark needs to be. And later when we see Moses, Moses leads the children of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. And while he's kind of traversing through that land, there's this thing called the tent of meeting, where the ark of the covenant was going to be kept. God's presence was there, where they would meet with God, and God gave very, very specific instructions. It wasn't just kind of like make a tent. It was, it needs to be this fabric, and it needs to be yay wide, and yay long, and this needs to be here, this needs to go there. And then later, when they cross over the Jordan River, they go into their promised land, they settle, and the city of God, the city of Jerusalem is established, and they build an, a, a temple, and God kind of moves from a mobile home into a permanent structure. And now we have a temple, God gives very specific instructions as to the width and the breadth and the, the length. And then we have the natural creation, Genesis chapter 1, we, we see creation as you see it that god has an order there's speaking light and then it's separating the waters from the from the land and it's it's a sequential very strategic way of building we got the whole ecosystem that we live in we've got something as as intricate as the human eye 
Have you ever even considered like how the eye works or the human reproduction system? This whole issue of pattern design and order. And then we come into the church and we just kind of think that it's just led by the spirit. And there, it's just kind of whatever happens. And actually there is beautiful pattern design and order for the church. And really it gets down to, because when we're talking about the church, we're not talking about a temple, like I just referenced earlier, like a physical temple. This, by the way, I know we call this a church. Do you know that this is not a church? This building here? This is a building, perhaps consecrated for spiritual use, but this is not biblically a church. You know what a church is? People. So we talk about pattern design and order for the church. When you want to look back into the scripture of God, what is your pattern and design, your blueprint for the church? It actually gets down to the roles and functions of the members of the body. Just like I have a physical body, so do you. You've got a shoulder, you've got arms, you've got different members, right? Each have a different function. They fit together to form one body, but each one has a different member, right? There's pattern design and order, very well thought out, might I say, pattern design and order to the human body. It's the same thing with the church, which is the body of Christ. And it gets down to discovering your divine purpose. And so even there, we talk about the roles and functions and the different gifts, we kind of miss it all up and we just throw it all into this big bucket and we stir it together and it, we get it all confused. All these roles and functions. And so when we talk about deacons, which is what we're going to talk about in the next couple of minutes, I, I just hope that we can bring some clarity to the reality of what, that all, what that's all about. In, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul, the apostle, talks about spiritual gifts. Talks about prophecy, interpretation of tongues, tongues, words of wisdom, words of knowledge. These are spiritual gifts which are the Holy Spirit upon a person. Everybody can operate in spiritual gifts. Any believer in Jesus who has received the Holy Spirit by virtue of placing your faith in Jesus, you can operate in spiritual gifts. Did you know that? Paul actually says in that same chapter that you all may prophesy. You don't need to be ordained. You don't need to go to Bible college. You can operate in spiritual gifts. Then in Romans chapter 12, we have these things that we call grace gifts. And these are things like administration, leadership, mercy and compassion, and, and various other gifts. These are gifts that aren't the Holy Spirit being upon you in a moment to prophesy over a person. This is something of who you are. Something that God, by his grace, has given you to function in. And as you mature in him that gift will become more and more of a blessing in what he's building called the church. That making sense? And then we got these other gifts called fivefold gifts or ascension gifts found in Ephesians 4.11. It says that when Christ ascended into heaven, he gave gifts to men, and he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. So, by the way, in modern-day church, we hear apostle this and bishop that and it's all about them being the superhero and the exalted one in the church. Well, actually, no. Their job is to lay down their lives to equip the saints, the people, to do the works of Jesus in the community. Right? But that, even, is something of a calling. It's a special calling. It's not like an apostle mantle comes upon me and I become a man, uh, an apostle today. I'm either called as a prophet or a teacher. It's who I am. It's who Jesus is in me, maybe who I'm called to be in him. Does that make sense? All of that is by the grace of God. Holy Spiritual gifts, grace gifts, it's all by the grace of God. 
uh, Ephesians 4.11 gifts, all by the grace of God. Holy Spirit, by the way, spiritual gifts isn't who you are, by the way. If you, if you prophesy, it doesn't mean you are a prophet. It means you've got the Holy Spirit inside of you. But, but leadership, well, that's a gift by grace. Being a prophet, that's something that, a calling, but then you've got these elders and deacons, separate category. This is appointed role and function in the church by God's design in order to care well for his church and to make sure that his purpose flourishes the way it's called to do. And if I believe that God is a God of pattern, design, and order, that this thing of the ark and all those things that I mentioned and the ecosystem, doesn't it do us well to operate by his design for his church if we're wanting to see his will, his kingdom come in the earth as it is in heaven? I would way rather follow him in this thing than arbitrarily choose how I think the church should be built. So let's look a little bit at, at deacons very quickly. Um, and uh, we're going to bring some understanding and then we're going to set, set them in with prayer and the laying on of hands. If you look with me in Acts chapter 6, I believe that this passage of scripture shows us the very first deacons that were ever set into a local church, that being the church in the city of Jerusalem. And if you look at the very first verse with me, I'm going to read out of the uh, NIV uh, from, for this particular passage. It says, now in those days when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. How many of you have ever seen, in the context of church, a complaint from one group towards another, or one person towards another? And so he, this is what's going down. The reason, as you read along with me, it says, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. In this particular church at this time, the widows were being taken care of by the church every day. There was a distribution of food, and the Hellenists, in other words, the Grecian widows, were getting looked at, looked looked after after the Hebrew widows. They were receiving preferential treatment. And it says, then the twelve, being the apostles, summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, "It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. We have a problem, and who does everybody look to to solve the problem?" The apostles. The solution to the problem has to do with serving of tables. They're saying it's not right that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brothers, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Other translations would say they prayed and laid hands on them. And then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now, we don't actually hear the word deacon in that passage of Scripture, Functionally, and in the greater context of the scripture, we can see that this was, in fact, what was going down. It was the setting in of deacons because they were taking on a role of service to relieve a need in the church that they could have appointed over them so that the work could continue to flourish. That making sense? So a couple things we want to say quickly about deacons. And before I even say this, why are we talking about this? Why does this matter to you? Why did you come out on a Sunday morning and you're hearing about deacons? 
What is this? Because we're all called to be living as followers of Jesus with a deacon heart. And even if that you never get set in as a deacon, I'm, I'm sure more and more and more people in the life of this church in the days to come will, but that's kind of, who cares in one sense? Let's be deacons in our hearts because it's the essence of what Jesus actually is. So first off, what is a deacon? What do we see here? Three levels of service that are going down. We've got that, first of all, that they are serving God. Actually, can I flip this around? Let's get start here. They're serving people. What is a deacon? They're being set over. In this particular case that I just read, they were serving tables to make sure widows got what they needed. Who's the beneficiary in that situation? It's, it's people in the church, right? There's always a function of deacons that it's something for the benefit of those that in the church and those that the church is called to reach and to bless. So people are served. And then there is a relieving of, of the leaders. And so the, the concept there is the apostles would have, as those who, who had the weight of the church falling upon them, their responsibility, they could either take care of this situation, but it meant that they would have to leave what their higher priority should be, which is the word of God. And so deacons come up and say, for the sake of the bigger picture, let me do that for you. Is that, that making sense? And then thirdly, clearly, there is the service of God. It's all about Jesus. It's deacons are people who are passionately driven to see Jesus' will be done, and they're willing to make whatever sacrifice they want to throw the weight of their lives into what God is doing. So serving God, relieving leaders, serving people. But then it says, listen to this. I love this. We're talking about serving some tables, and the apostles say, find seven men who are uh, good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. I didn't know that you had to be like a, a spiritual guru to serve some tables, right? But yet there's, there's something here of, of the being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, sometimes we take that, that, that wording, filled with the Holy Spirit, and, and we think that that means that at some point we had a spiritual experience where we got uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and we speak in tongues, and, and that's what that passage means. But actually, what Paul's, I mean, Paul, what the, what the uh, wording is talking about is a life of living in the infilling of God's Spirit, of living in the pursuit of His presence, having evidence that they're led in their lives by the Spirit of God. They're following Him. They're spiritually awakened in their their. They're being filled, living for the infilling of the Holy Spirit, which, can I say, Mickey and the Opals uh, have, have manifested before us. Making decisions, not by their own logic, but by what is God saying and seeking his will, pursuing his presence, being people who are passionate about God and his purpose and his people. Being full of the Holy Spirit, but also wisdom. It's not enough just to be spiritually zealous and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I know a lot of people who are such, but you can't place weight and responsibility on them because one second it's this and the next second it's this. And so there's also experience and there's wisdom and there's practical application and knowledge of how to get things done. You follow what I'm saying? Full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, and of good reputation amongst the church, which, by the way, can only be accomplished over time. Which is why, as we're going to get later, let people first be tested and then let them be set in as deacons, as Paul says in 1 uh, Timothy 3. P 
He, these are people who can be and are entrusted with the work. Again, they said, Therefore, brothers, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. There's a, there's a delegation of responsibility that can be placed on top of these people and entrusted and know it's going to be well taken care of. That's the heart of a, of a, of a deacon, biblically. And then finally, the result of this, again, look at verse 7 with me. Because one thing was taken care of, because we have various people, the apostles were able to give themselves to the word of God, the continued proclamation and, and, and the spread of the word of God, and there was other things that needed to have happened in the church that were being taken care of, it allowed for the ongoing further momentum of the advancement of God's kingdom, which is the making of disciples and people coming to Jesus. And in verse 7 it says, as a result of everything we just said, the word of God spread and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. How many of you have seen the word of God spread and, and the number of, multiplies, number of disciples multiply greatly in the city of Detroit? At the end of the day, let's keep the main thing the main thing. Other than passionately pursuing Jesus, pursuing his presence, hearing him, what we're ultimately here for is that. It's to see people encounter the God who loves them and who sent Jesus to die for them and encounter him and have life in him, new life in him. Let's go on to, uh, does deacon just mean a servant or is it a formal role? So as we said earlier, all should aspire to live with a deacon heart. And I just want to make a couple points as we, as we kind of reference this. There are 30 appearances in the New Testament of the Greek word diakonos, which is translated as deacon in English. Have I lost you? Okay, good. So you know the Bible wasn't written in English. So when we read it, we're really reading a translation of the original text, which in the, for the New Testament is written in Greek. And the, we get the word deacon from the Greek word diakonos, which is referenced 30 times in the New Testament. Three times it is with regards to an office. 27 times it's, re it's referring to servant. Which do you think to me is, is more important? It all gets back to the heart of a servant. And Jesus is identified as a diakonos, as we said earlier. Romans 15, 8, Paul says, For I tell you that Christ has become a diakonos, a servant of the Jews, on behalf of God's truth, so that the promise made to the patriarchs might, might be confirmed. Jesus himself is referred to with this word. He's described with this word. And then Jesus uses this word to describe the basis of true leadership and authority in the kingdom of God. In Matthew 20, 26, he says this, Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your diakonos, your servant, the basis of leadership and authority and, and influence in the kingdom of heaven. In fact, leadership and influence without a servant heart is destructive in the church. And then finally, Paul describes, Paul, the apostle, who we see as being like the man of power for the hour. Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He's the apostle. He describes himself as a deacon. Not the office of a deacon, but he says, Ephesians 3, 7, I became a deacon, a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given through me, uh, given me through the working of his power. And so we're all 
supposed, we're all called to be living with the spirit in the heart of a deacon, but it is in fact an office. And if you look with me in 1 Timothy 3, starting in verse 8, Paul's talking about elders and deacons. He's talking about these, really these only two roles that are mentioned in the entire New Testament in terms of offices of, of, of leadership and delegated responsibility, elders and deacons. And he's talking about the qualifications. He's talking to his spiritual son, Timothy. As you're leading churches, this is what you're looking for. Make sure if you're putting an elder in the place, this is the qualifications. If you're, as you're putting in deacons, these are your qualifications. Great wisdom here. And here's what he says about deacons. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested. That means let them dwell in the local church for a while. Let their character and their conduct be seen. And let their hearts be tested just through the ordinary thing of walking in church relationships. Do you know what I mean by that? <laughs> you know, just being with other humans and seeing what attitudes flare up and what, you know, are they faithful and blah, blah, blah. Then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own houses well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So the idea here is that the weight, when God is, is planting, when a new church is being planted, or when, a, or when there is a local church, the weight of the responsibility falls upon the elders of that church in the exact same way, pretty much, as a mom and a dad have the weight of their family and their children fall on them. If, if something's going down with these two boys, I can't point a finger at anyone else in this room as to whose fault that is, right? They're my responsibility. And in a local church, it's the elders who take responsibility for the church. Deacons from amongst the church are the first who come up and say, count me in whatever it takes that needs to get done. I want to, I don't need the title. I don't need the position. I want to see the kingdom of heaven come, and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to facilitate that. That's what, that's what deacons essentially really are. Deacons uh, is not about authority. The issue is actually service. And, uh, but here's the point that I want to make that's so critical. There is a delegated authority for a deacon to have, for example, the responsibility of the serving of the widows entrusted to them. It's not like the apostles had to walk them by the hand to tell them every little thing that they did. You take care of that so we can focus on this, right? So there's a delegation of responsibility and with it a form of authority, but deacons aren't by virtue of, their, of, of the definition of the role, is not an authority, but according to what Jesus says, it is the premise for true influence and true leadership in his kingdom, which in that sense is the most important thing. Does that make sense? So let's go on and ask this question, and then we're going to set these wonderful people in. What is the reward of a deacon? You know, what's in it for me? Well, let me ask you this question. Today, as based on what we just described is, is going down here, who is actually benefiting from this little uh, holy transaction that's going down? I would say, number one, the people of the church are benefiting. 
and the people who this church is called to influence positively in this city and in the nation ultimately are benefiting, but specifically locally, for sure. Because ultimately the things that these people are going to do have to do with helping people. Helping people know what time the service is by looking at the sign and having the uh, worship sound stuff put up and having the community group that meets in their house and et cetera, et cetera. People are the beneficiaries. Who else? I would say the elders of the church, namely myself and, and my wife, are benefiting here of being able to entrust a work to other people so that we can give our attention to what we need to be focused on. Who else is benefiting in this transaction? I would say Jesus. His kingdom is advancing. Who did I not mention in that list of people? The deacons. In other words, this is a total expression of Christ-likeness. It has nothing to do with me. When I become a deacon, it has nothing to do with me. There's no benefit. There's, it's not about privilege and etc. It is about people and Jesus and his purposes. That's what it boils down to. But having said that, let's reference that scripture again, 1 Timothy 3. And I'd like to speak this over this, this couple and this man. If you look at 1 Timothy 3 in the 13th verse again, for those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing. And that, that word good standing means something of degree, if, if that makes sense. I don't want to sound corporate and like we're talking about positions and ranks. That's not, that's not the new spirit of the New Testament. But yet, it's a, it's a good standing in the sense of a respect and a regard from amongst the flock. That people respect and have seen virtue in your lives and honor that. It's a good standing and, it says, a great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. What's that all about? That means what Jesus is building in his church, I mean, excuse me, in this earth is his church. And when you voluntarily, not because you're trying to show off how spiritual you are or trying to do the good thing, in your pursuit of Jesus become willing to take on the yoke, the, the burden, if you will, that burden that's a light burden, you know, there's full of grace, but nonetheless, say, here am I, send me to do the work. When you take that upon yourself, you, you can speak with a boldness and represent something on a whole other level when you yourself are making sacrifice for a thing as opposed to when it's just theory. And when you own that role as a deacon, there is something of representing the church and being able to speak with boldness of the things of this kingdom that... Um, that may not have been there in the, to the same degree prior to that. And then I would love to say this last thing, and I think that this is significant for both this couple and this man over here. If you go back to Acts chapter 6, the first setting in of deacons, you're talking about reward of deacon, there is something about a being set in and serving well as deacon that can be, doesn't mean it always is, can be an important step that God brings you to bring you into the opening up of something bigger and more fulfilling to the, the higher calling of God upon your lives. And specifically, it mentions those seven men, remember the seven men that, that took responsibility for the widow's tables? One was Stephen. Stephen was the man who became a martyr and professed his faith in Christ in the presence of Saul, who got messed up from seeing that, 
I don't mean drunk. He got, <laughs> he got, he didn't know what to do about the level of faith of this man who was stoned to death in his presence and that inevitably witnessed to him and of course he later became the Apostle Paul. Stephen played a role in influencing the one who probably has more influence over the Western, over the ongoing church today than any other man I can think of. And then Philip, another one of those deacons, serving widows to make sure Hellenist widows are fed food. Philip becomes the one who pioneers the breaking open of Samaria, the first one to leave Judea and break open and pioneer the region of Samaria with the gospel. Huge, a new, a new dimension of the, on, the unfolding of God's purposes to, to disciple the nations. Philip was a pioneer of that, but that didn't happen until he was first a deacon in the local church of Jerusalem. And I believe, so not to say that it's a stepping stone to bigger things, I think being a deacon is as big as it gets. But I do believe that there's purpose that God has for you guys that will, God will use this to open up bigger stuff, other stuff. So can I ask this awesome couple and this man to join me at the front, and Minda, if you would as well. And I'm, in the next couple seconds, I'm also going to invite Rodney and Nita to help us pray. Don't you love these people? You can go ahead and, and clap. That's awesome. I want to say uh, over, over these people that one, the scripture says, as we just referenced, to let them first be tested. And you, I mean, you guys have been with the church plant before it was even a, we were just like talking about and, and you know, th those discussions. I mean, you guys were there from day one, <laughs> like day negative one. Um, and then Mickey, of course, it was just a matter of a couple months afterwards that you came into the, the scene. And these people have served faithfully on what we've called a team and intentionally didn't call it a leadership team just to make sure there's, it's nothing to do with privilege and title and all that kind of stuff. We're just serving together. But in that, you have become and manifested the lifestyle of a deacon in front of the people and the many people who aren't here today. You've manifested that and uh, have proven yourselves to be deacons. And so really today is not about some new thing, it's actually just a recognition of what already organically exists because of your relationship with Jesus and uh, the timing. That is right. And um, I also just wanna say, these, this, this couple and this man, full of the Holy Spirit, evidence of spiritual activity, being led by the Spirit, the pursuit of, of Jesus in his presence, full of wisdom, able to be entrusted with a, a work and, um, and I also just want to point out that when we leave for South Africa in a week from tomorrow, that uh, we're able to entrust the ministry of the church for almost two weeks to essentially these three people standing here. That's going to be fun. But honestly, to me, that is a, that's like a, like, that did not exist several months before. It, that is in place, and that is a good thing. So we, we honor you and we salute you. Um, before I invite Rodney Nita to join us, I just want to say, how, how should I relate to these people? If I'm sitting here, and how do I relate? What does this mean to us? Number one, I want to point out that uh, in their various areas of, 
of responsibility that they represent uh, the eldership, they represent the leadership of the church. They, so when they're doing something and maybe they might need to call on somebody for help, it's, you know, let's, let's honor the fact that they, they're not just unilaterally making it, they're, they're doing something that is represented, is authorized to carry out responsibility. Secondly, I think that everyone in here should learn from their faith, allow yourself to be influenced by their faith and by their lifestyle. Let them be something of a model. And then thirdly, I think uh, everyone should be encouraged to serve with them. You know, there's a kind of a degree of following with them. So I've asked uh, Rodney and Nita, it says uh, in Acts chapter 6, I don't need to read it, but it says that as they they prayed and laid hands on them. And we're going to do that now. And I've asked Rodney and Nita, Rodney and Nita serve on the New Covenant Ministries International team. That is the kind of uh, partnership that this church partners with in strengthening churches around the world. That's what we're doing when we go to South Africa. Um, And so because of that, I've asked them to kind of be a part of this moment. Why don't you guys shift over here and we'll just gather around you. And um, we're going to pray over them. And I've also asked them if there's anything of a prophetic nature that they're feeling led by the Holy Spirit to speak over them uh, to release that publicly. Jonathan, is this being recorded? Cool. I wanted to make sure that this was recorded. So let's pray, and you guys, if you would, you can stretch your hands forward to pray for them. If you don't want to do that, you don't have to. I'm just wanting to do something that engages your faith in this moment as well. We thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you that far beyond this moment, way before this moment, you arrested and uh, took the attention and grabbed the hearts of these three individuals. And through faith in your son, they became your children. And we thank you for the faith, the ongoing faith that has been manifested in their lives, how you have formed character, you have spoken and revealed your word and your truth to them. They have taken steps of faith through the years. They've followed you. They've become more and more like you. And they stand today being more able than, in a sense, ever before to occupy a place of responsibility and um, be entrusted with care in your church. Lord, we thank you that right now is more than just a ceremony. It's more than just a moment, Lord, that there's something above and beyond what man does that uh, would energize and would release things in their life and through them for the purpose of your will being accomplished. Right now we lay hands upon these three, upon Nikki, upon Anna, upon Kurt, and we declare over them the grace of God to fulfill everything that needs to be done. We declare even the anointing of the Holy Spirit that what they would do would not be work from a human perspective, would be energized with divine life. We want to pray not our own ideas, not our own kingdom. Jesus, your kingdom, your kingdom come, your will be done. Here on earth in Detroit, in this church, just as it is in heaven. We bless them. Declare your grace for for the task above and beyond what they've even known. Or let there be evidence of increase 
increase in their lives, increase in leadership, increase in spiritual authority, increase in even the anointing to make decisions, make calls, to maneuver through things. In Jesus' name.
Yes, it's awesome. Yeah. 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 Yeah.